Are New York City schools willing to get rid of gifted and talented classes? Is that just the start of their diversity to-do list? The first day of school is upon us, so perfect timing for this discussion that we're going to have today uh, around school diversity, recommendations from the mayor's task force. Um, Really interesting conversation, and boy, they really timed it to coincide with the start of the school year in a way that's very interesting, but also very controversial and a lot of things swirling. I was at a press conference at the steps of City Hall today from some city council members and others opposed to these recommendations that have come out. So a lot to dig into here. Yeah, always a lot of passion and interest when it comes to educating the future and dealing with uh, people's children. Um, And certainly in the city where diversity is such an important issue. And this discussion has obviously been primed by all the stuff about selective high schools, um, the role of standardized tests in general, uh, really a a conversation that has been rolling for some time. And and as you said, just gathering steam in recent weeks. And so we'll be having a couple of guests to talk about that. Uh, Council member Mark Traeger, who is the council's education chairperson, education committee chairperson. Former teacher. Former teacher himself. And Matthew Gonzalez, who is a longtime education advocate and uh, was a member of the advisory group that produced this very interesting set of recommendations. Yeah, and it's interesting. Maybe we'll have a minute with Matt uh, to talk about. He's also launching something in in these first few days of September here. He's launching a new institute at NYU related to school integration, and he was part of this very large school diversity advisory group that just put forth its second set of recommendations with some of the big uh, whoppers that people are talking about um, and really, you know, have stirred up a lot of interest after they had put forward their first set of recommendations, which were much less controversial, relate, you know, not related to school screens and gifted and talented programs and the stuff that's really got people talking here in the second set. They had put those f- f- forth months ago. Mm-hmm. The mayor and the DOE said they were accepting 62 of the 67 and awaiting the second set. And now the second set have come in and that's going to touch off a very interesting conversation. So we'll have some of that conversation today with Councilmember Traeger with Matt Gonzalez of the Diversity uh, Advisory Group. And we'll come back to that in just a few minutes when they join us, um, Matt, here in the studio and Councilmember Traeger by phone. It'll be a very interesting conversation about what the recommendations really are, Councilmember Traeger's initial reactions to them. I assume he's going to hold a hearing. We'll ask him uh, at the city council about them and really where this discussion is right now and where it heads. But let's shift back to the major topic of of today's show, this question of um, education policy, the mayor's panel on school diversity, Um, the school diversity advisory group, again, for folks, came was impaneled in 2017. Uh, The mayor put this together under a lot of pressure around the fact that the city schools are extremely segregated. Uh, We just did a deep dive on this at Gotham Gazette that starting in 2014 when the mayor took office, there was not a lot of talk about segregation in the city schools. And then all of a sudden, three months into the mayor's term, this UCLA Civil Rights Project report drops that New York State schools are the most segregated in the country, largely driven by New York City, of course, because New York City is such a population center of the state, uh, among other reasons. And then it set off this discussion that now is really getting going with this advisory group that he put together. So um, that's what we'll be discussing for basically the remainder of today's show with our two esteemed guests. And so we're joined on the phone now by City Council Member Mark Traeger. 
who will be calling in momentarily. Sorry, or it could, could be on the phone. We're hoping so. Uh, but we are very pleased to have in the studio uh, Matthew Gonzalez, who is an advocate, a member of the Mayor's School Diversity Advisory Group. He just left New York Appleseed for a position at the NYU Metro Center to build an integration and equity support center called the Innovation and Integration Initiative. Matt, welcome to Max and Murphy. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Matt, why don't while we're waiting for Councilmember Trigger to get on the phone, tell us a little bit about um, sort of what the school diversity group is. Are we still saying is? Is it shut down or is was? That's a good question. Let's say is. Let's say is. It, it is a living and breathing thing sure, as long as the reports are out there and right. you're you're talking about it and we're going to be debating it in right. this city for months and maybe years to come. So, anyway, what is it and sort of snapshot, what did you take on? Yeah, so uh, the School Diversity Advisory Group was um, appointed by the mayor in 2017, and this was really part of the, the city's diversity plan that they released in 2017, um, which you know many, many of the advocacy community didn't think was, uh, was enough for many different reasons, but I think one thing that a lot of us found valuable was the, the convening of this group of experts and advocates, okay. parents, students, educators, um, really to come together and talk about, think through what the what the process and policy should look like for the city. And so we've been working for two two years plus right now. And um, you know it's 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 become a really uh, dynamic group of of voices and thinkers. And and you know what we've thought about really was one was trying to restart the conversation of desegregation and integration in New York City. When um, you know most people think of integration, they think of busing and kind of moving bodies. And while there's an uh, a necessary element uh, to think about student assignment and mobility Uh, when we're thinking about integration many of us really push to have a more comprehensive and holistic framework in thinking about desegregation that that thought about you know not just admissions policies but um, school resource policies um, curriculum and pedagogy um, discipline policies and the the ways in which teachers are distributed across the the city as well and so we you know our first report really laid out the the kind of framework that we were working from which really derived from students from the organization integrate NYC who had been developing their advocacy and their thinking for a number of years uh, prior to the SDAG uh, being put together and so we use that framework to build out a you know a set of policies and priorities that the city needed to prioritize um, and and because the framework was you know in, consisting of five impact areas um, the report you know had we written all of this into one report it would probably been you know 300 pages instead of 116 for our first one but um, you know really laying the groundwork um, and setting the conditions that we think need to happen to really um, cultivate and, and and benefit from diverse educational spaces and the second report is really about offering the tools that we think the city could take and needs to take to to achieve the goals that were articulated in the first report. So we've seen headlines about this second report. Oh, yeah, you've seen the headlines. headlines. <laughs> but what do you think are the headlines? What, you know, it, what's your elevator pitch for what this report proposes the city should do? Will you, will you just back up and do yeah. report 1 first? Just sure. the headlines of report 1 yeah. and headlines of report 2. Yeah, so the the headline of report 1 I, for me I think was really about um, setting the tone and um, articulating a new a new conversation, a new framework for integration, and and that's really what I'm hopeful. You know, hope hope uh, kind of came through in that. For the second report, and just to put a little sure. more flesh on that bone, report one had, you know, sort of what the goals should be, right? right. That the, for desegregation, that that schools should start to look like 
the districts they were in, then the boroughs they were in, then the city as a whole in terms of diversity. Right. So the first report was really about setting, articulating those goals. You know, we wrote 67 recommendations, um, really, again, under that that five R's framework uh, of of that blueprint that students designed. Um, And so we really tried to, you know, again, articulate goals, set some metrics, um, and, and gladly the, the, the Department of Education adopted those. But then we also, you know, looked at the other four R's that the students had articulated and tried to articulate goals around those other pieces, too. And really about, you know, thinking again, like you have to set goals, but you also need to set the, the groundwork and the conditions and the priorities, you know, not just, again, moving kids around, but moving practice, moving resources, moving priorities. Right. Resource is one of the words that comes up over and over again right. about adding resources and adding resources. Okay, so report two. Report two, oh gosh, the headlines were, were <laughs> amazing this, this last couple of weeks. But for us, really, was really um, the headline for us is really about um, laying out the, the tools that the city can can take to transform the school system. Um, the obviously the 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 kind of the most important or most prominent headline was really about you know the SDAG calls to axe all GNT programs, and that's you know you know I think many people have responded to that headline without actually reading the report. Um, what is what I'm finding uh, you know in talking to people directly and also kind of seeing and hearing people uh, respond on Twitter. But this is really about laying out a, a process that you know that the city would need to take in a sequence of, you know, not just like removing, pulling the rug out from people, but, but investing, you know, again, thinking about resources, how do we invest strategically in schools across the city to make sure that um, one, we're dismantling um, admissions policies that we've found to be segregative and that were designed with, with in, in some ways, some in, uh, segregative intent, um, and then replacing those with admissions priorities that, that are inclusive um, and, and, and hopefully all the work that we wrote into our first report sets the conditions for more inclusionary admissions. So let's bring on uh, Councilmember Traeger. So Councilmember, welcome to Max and Murphy. We have on Matt Gonzalez. He is talking about the report that he interacted with as a, as a co-author. You are a reader. What was your reaction when you saw the, the report that uh, came out recently? Thank you for having me on, and, and, and also thanks to Matt and also SDAG for their very important work. Uh, so my uh, initial reaction, my, my initial read, was that um, I think this was the first uh, kind of government-sponsored comprehensive analysis of the Bloomberg era gifted and talented program and the admissions to the program since, uh, I believe, 2007, 2008. Uh, I don't think I have seen such a comprehensive analysis of the, the state of enrichment and gifted and talented in New York City schools. Uh, this is in over a decade. Um, and when you actually read the report, because I think we, we have to do a new hashtag called hashtag read the report. Mm. Uh, uh, it, it, it talks about, for example, the, the admissions, the entry point that we currently use that was adopted by the Bloomberg administration, where four-year-olds are required to take two tests in one day administered by strangers that they've never met in their lives. Uh, And the score has to rank higher than 90% of their national peers, which means that uh, students' uh, scores in Boise, Idaho, are impacting a Brooklyn child's ability 
to enter a local GNT program. This is absurd. And even the people that wrote the book on gifted and talented say, what is New York City doing here? They never uh, supported this approach. And I found an article in the Times uh, during the Bloomberg administration where even Bloomberg's own officials acknowledged that they dropped the ball on changing the criteria and changing their, their, the program. So it, it, the end result was that more than half of the city's G&T programs collapsed. Uh, many children do not even have access to such an opportunity. And these admissions policies get direct impact it's such a, an opportunity in schools. An interesting point that that and that's something that the report, when you do bother to read it, really does uh, bring out very, very deftly. And that is that many of these programs in the long sweep of city educational history are relatively new and do date back only to the previous mayor and to the many reorganizations of the school system he undertook. Um, but one question I had is, and obviously this report does focus on GNT as well as other screenings, right. as the, the many middle school yeah. and high school screenings, which goes well beyond the, uh, the SHSAT schools, obviously. But I guess what right. uh, what percentage, and this goes uh, to either Matt or the council member, what percentage of the city's segregation problem in schools is down to those Screenings because it's something like one in five schools that employ those. So obviously, many schools do not. Um, so, it, how much do we lay on the doorstep of these screening mechanisms for the problem we have? Right. So, I don't actually have like you know. I don't think it's hard to calculate what what the like the overall like segregation score of New York City and and how G and T and screened admissions fit into that. I think a better way to think about it is what are the most um, egregious kind of functions and and manifestations of segregation and, and we see them in our highly selective programs and admissions policies and so obviously there there's you know the history of New York City is, is a history of redlining and residential segregation and very intentional action by this by the city state and federal government to create segregated communities um, and so that's really why we called for a, a range of tools to really think about how to address the problem but I think what we noticed is that when you just look at the numbers like just one of the charts that just shows the proportion of students who have access to you know current gifted and talented programs and screened admissions, which also again mirrors the specialized high schools, um, you know th these are really creating segregation pipelines. And and for us, we didn't think the the continual use of those those structures and those policies made sense if we're really truly committed to desegregating and integrating our city. Councilmember, talk a little bit more about your reactions to what's been put forward here by the group. Um, are there things that you especially like? Are there things that you are a little skeptical about? Are there, you know, are there things that you really want to push forward or push against? Um, I was at a press conference on the steps of City Hall today where about a half a dozen of your council colleagues were pushing back on the idea of eliminating the current gifted and talented programs. They want to see more gifted and talented programs across the city. Are there, are there certain things that you're especially supportive of or hesitant about here? I, I, I'm going to respectfully ask all of my city council colleagues to hashtag read the report uh, <laughs> because that's exactly, I believe, what folks are talking about, expanding opportunity to all schools and all districts, because currently only about 5% of the students have access or are involved in gifted programs. So I, I, I respectfully ask my colleagues to read the report. 
I'm also aware that some folks internally were talking about requiring four-year-olds, in addition to taking two tests in one day, perform community service to be considered into gifted programs. I really am curious to know uh, what that uh, what that looks like. That's like beyond cleaning their room, uh, I'm assuming, right? Uh, right, right. So I, I, I would just ask folks to actually read the report because it does speak to the issue of, of how the admissions changes during the Boomerang era had a direct impact on resources and opportunity and equity across our school system. I also want to point out that the report uh, uh, referenced uh, the education opportunity, the ADOP model for high school, that I, I, I am a proud Murrell High School, and I said this before, and I'm going to keep saying I'm a proud Murrell High School alum, and I did not know at the time, and now, now looking back, I'm, I'm aware that Murrow had an admissions policy where about half the kids were at grade level, uh, 25% above, 25% under. There was a lot of academic integration. There was a, it was a very uh, much a diverse school, diverse student body, diverse staff. I had a very rich, diverse curriculum to learn from. I benefited from that. I became a better student and actually I became a better teacher because of my experiences in that school. And they talk about how we should you know, the benefits, uh, the socioeconomic benefits, the academic benefits to students in diverse population and school population. So I think that there is a lot of important stuff mentioned in the report. I also love the fact that they in the phrase research-based. Let's listen to experts. Let's listen to what children experts are saying. And, and, and the irony is that the, the, the authors of gifted programs are saying what we're doing now is broken, not working, and not providing opportunity to all kids because the real answer is to provide enrichment uh, learning opportunities to all kids across the school system. The issue is how do we create a policy or, 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 or uh, uh, an initiative that reaches every child, reaches every school, reaches every district, because right now that is not the case. And this, I think, goes to, you're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're on with Matt Gonzalez of the School Diversity Advisory Group and Councilmember Mark Traeger, chairperson of the Council's Education Committee, talking about the recent diversity report and its recommendations. And this, I think, goes to the part of the report that, depending where you sit, is either visionary or deeply frightening. And that is talking about the idea that you can have these educational models that meet the needs of advanced learners people with interest in specific areas. And and this goes to, I think, one of the big questions I have just from my own school experience, which is, can you achieve a diverse educational setting without creating a setting where the individual needs of students um, get kind of lumped together and you have a classroom that works for, for nobody because you have kids who might be more accelerated in a, in a in a subject who are bored, you have kids who might be struggling because they're new to the country or new to the city and they're lost and kids in the middle don't know quite what to do. Um, I guess the question is, based on the research, are there ways to get around that now? Right. Well, so you're, you're luckily talking to two former teachers, myself and Councilmember Traeger. A and third, so, actually. Oh, ben is also. Well, yes. We're, we're in good company right now. <laughs> so, um, you know, what I will say is that there there's there's good research to um, justify the, the, the history and the work around detractors 
fracking that is this happened across the country. Um, what we're proposing is actually not radical. It's it's very much aligning, um, you know, calling New York City to align itself with what other cities have done in terms of uh, providing um, school-wide enrichment models like D.C., Montgomery County, and other places have thought through how to engage in um, more detract educational spaces. That's not to say that it is easy work. When I was a special education teacher, I had I was a middle school teacher. I had students who could multiply fractions. I had kids who um, could not multiply. And so the, the work it required and the investment of time and energy and planning and the external support I needed from um, paraprofessionals was, you know, that needed to be that needed to be present. And so it really it wasn't it's not an easy job. But I think the the idea that um, investing in policies, practices, um, curriculum and structures that actually, um, you know, dismantle segregation, which, which I, you know, again, has larger implications than just separating kids from each other. It's about separating um, poor black and Latinx students primarily from opportunities, from resources, from power, um, and from the ability to, to self-actualize their educational experience. And so I think for us, it's really about understanding that one, what New York City does is actually on the outlier side. And, and when you're talking about the specialized high schools, you're talking about screened admissions at the middle schools. We're, we're determining uh, nine and 10 year old kind of pathway based on their behavior marks or other kind of, you know, I think very biased me mechanisms. And then when we're testing four-year-old kids, um, you know, what we need to understand is that these are these practices are, one, they're just not grounded in research. They're not grounded in what, you know, true pedagogues really understand as good teaching. Um, and, you know, again, the, the alternatives are not simple and not easy, but that's why we really um, try to articulate a comprehensive framework and approach to ensure that we're making the investments necessary to um, equip all of our educators and support all of our educators and schools to do this work. Um, this is not something you know that we expect to happen overnight. You know, we set some timelines. We want to see the Department of Education and the mayor be aggressive on this because there is a limited amount of time. Um, but we also know that there there are models uh, of school-wide enrichment. There are models of detracking that have been very successful. And I think if we elevate those more um, and really uh, you know identify the schools in New York City, you know PS15 um, and District One used a state grant that was focused on integration to design school-wide enrichment, and it's it's transformed that community. It's transformed that school from one that was under-enrolled to one that's that's gaining a lot more traction, a lot more attention from uh, a diverse group of families. Councilmember Traeger, you um, you know you have the position of someone in elected office where you have to constantly balance sort of the immediate concerns of your constituents, and as chair of the education committee, your you know your constituents in that way are also all across the city. Um, but you have to balance right. these sort of immediate needs and trying to do long term policy making that improves the the city overall. So when you look at recommendations like this, you know, there's some people who say, okay, this is a great package for, you know, a beautiful vision of education reform that could take, realistically could take, you know, eight to 10 years to really implement. How do you sort of digest that and say, well, there's certain things that I want to get done immediately for my constituents? That's a great question, because in recent days, I've been going through that exact uh, issue of, uh, you know, balancing views within my district versus what's happening beyond uh, beyond my district. And so what I've what I've learned as a teacher and what I bring with me to to this role in government is ultimately what is best for kids, what is best for our children, 
Um, I have to separate, you know, a graphic T-chart, Ben and Matt, uh, uh, substance from emotion. And the substance here is what is ultimately good for our children. And the current gifted program is not working for our kids. The current enrichment program is not being, is not accessible to the majority of our school children. Um, the, the, the idea of, the, of this over-testing culture at four years old, what about the idea of letting four-year-olds be four-year-olds and develop socialization skills, which I think are critically, you know, I, 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 at graduation, I, I, I say this line with parents and, and, and staff and, t- and students, one of the most important parts of your elementary school grade, which I think this current president failed at and still fails at, your ability to work well with others. Do you, do you remember that part of your elementary school report card? I do. Uh, I do. Your ability to work well with others. That is a critically important part. Socialization to get along with, 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 with the diverse communities, with, with, your, with your friends, your neighbors. That's critically important at, at that young age. And so I w- want to rely on experts and research on facts. We know that the research says that what we're doing with four-year-olds, the entry points to this program is wrong. We know that academic integration, integration in all forms, benefits our children in so many different ways. So we, we really just need to kind of let the facts settle in, to drown out the noise. There's been many sensationalized and misleading statements about what actually is being proposed. Actually, I have to say, there's been more fighting over what's not in the report than what's actually in the report. So I'd actually like to have a conversation about what's actually in the report, about finding research-based ways of, uh, of actually assessing and, and uh, providing opportunity to children across the five boroughs to every school and every district to provide that enrichment thing. And the last thing I'll, I'll share with you, I come from the high school world, so elementary, uh, I was never an elementary school teacher, but in the high school world and Murrow, they gave you the option, the student had the, had the option to take the advanced course. So I was naturally more advanced in history and maybe in English but I needed more help in math. And that's okay. And that's normal. Our kids might be strong in one subject area, might need help in other subject areas, and that's okay. But you do not deprive them and deny them opportunities if they need help and support in one or two subjects. This is the issue that we have to address, that our kids are gifted. How do we build a system around their needs and their gifts? If you want to call in and ask a question of one of our guests, please do call 212 209 2877. That's 212-209-2877. And just to talk about GNT specifically for another minute. Let me just, the, can I just quickly say yes. 16,000 students in New York City in gifted and talented programs. So we right. need to put, I wanted to get that, and that number out there. And that actually goes to the question because that's something yes. that um, Nicole Maliotakis, a one-time candidate for mayor, and a assemblywoman in Staten Island, the point she has made in her critique, and this I think others have picked this up too, is that some some large percentage of people who qualify for GNT, and obviously you can qualify for the citywide program if you hit 97%, 90% you get into what is supposed to be a local program. But because of the limited space in those programs, something like 78% of people who qualify, students who qualify, don't get to those programs. Um, so the 16,000 is a small number. It would obviously still be a minority of the system. But is there anything to that that the issue here is not the GNT is problematic as a concept, but that it is problematic as we have resourced it in New York City? 
Well, I mean, I think that's really what we've tried to articulate in the rep- in the report. The idea, I mean, one, there's you know, there should be another later conversation about what how do we define giftedness? Like, what does that mean? Mm. You can like prep for a test when you're four years old. Maybe you're gifted. I I just I I don't agree with that. But I do think that what we've tried to elevate is that we're trying to transform the the policy, the program structure that was designed by people, you know, during the Bloomberg era. And so this is not about um, suggesting that, you know, there are kids that actually have exceptional learning needs. And I think we should think about what other, like Los Angeles treats gifted students, um, at, you know, within a special education realm. And so I think we need to understand that there are very special needs for students who have high, you know, high enrichment needs. Um, but the ways in which our programs operate now are not not really designed to serve those needs. You know, a lot of the curriculum is inconsistent. There's not a standard curriculum. There's not a standard practice of teaching. Um, the the credentialing, you know, for, for for educators in you know so-called gifted classes, I think is is really something that we need to really analyze and determine. So we're gonna go. Well, let's go to. We have a call, and I'll come back to my question in a moment. Uh, you're on the line here on Max Murphy on WBAI. Who are you, and yes, what what's your question? Guys. My name is Emmanuel, and I'd like to ask the uh, councilman a question and make a small statement. On Monday, I rode from Carroll Gardens all the way back over to East New York, where I live. And I want to tell you, New York City has gotten very much polarized in terms of just in terms of our interaction and environment. And what the councilman said about the integration of the school system is so profoundly correct because you would not believe. I think a lot of people are, are, that are living in the city now are from out of state and they're not really real native New Yorkers. And so there seems to be a very like foreign type atmosphere in the city itself. And, and if we're gonna start to make this place any better, you can't start in a better place in schools. And I'm telling you that whole program about getting along with others is essential if we're gonna make this city work during the era of Trump. All right, so he's going to be back next year. That's that's a, a interesting and valuable statement. Did you have a quick question, or you want to just get that out there? Well, I'm, I was just wondering how that socialization process is going to work. I mean, is, are there any concrete plans for that? Because it's really important if we're gonna if we're gonna fight that that aspect of our our national government in this city, there has to be plans in place, especially within the schools right. and with young kids interacting with each other, interacting with people that look differently than them. Thank because you. that's where the savings are going to come. Okay, thank you for the call. Council member, do you want to explain a little bit more what you were referring to on the socialization discussion? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the core is spot on. Uh, you know, if, if, if you continue the Bloomberg approach and listen to some of the people, some of the noise out there, they're okay with two-year-olds, toddlers, and test prep. Think about that. Two-year-olds and test prep. Two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds should be working, develop. This is a critical form, a time for development, social development, brain development. This is a time for them to get to know themselves and those around them, to develop socialization skills, to build friendships with, with, with neighbors and friends and classmates. And, and, and instead of that, they're going through test prep factories? Matt, you wanted to... is spot on. Yeah, yeah. Matt wanted to yeah, jump just in a here couple too. things that 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 kind of elevate from our report. One is we really, uh, I think there are a number of things that need to be done to really cultivate 
um, kind of cross-group interactions um, beyond just kind of smashing kids together in the room. It's really about investing in teaching practices. And one of the areas we elevated was culturally responsive and sustaining education, which um, you know a, yeah. a group of folks just passed a definition through the panel for education policy. That's just a definition, but I think using that as a framework for guiding teaching practices that are more inclusive, um, more more thoughtful, is is the right strategy. Um, you know, we don't know how the the mayor and the chancellor's package around social emotional learning and restorative practices are going to be rolled out, but the, the the investments and the priorities that we're seeing being made, I think, were really beneficial and ultimately are necessary to cultivate those those cross group you know interactions. And it seems to me another part of the answer here is that starting to separate kids and track kids at four years old creates all sorts of division and changes in you know the sort of cohesion and the the opportunity for kids who are a little bit at you know different places developmentally some advanced in some ways some maybe a little bit less advanced in others to sort of lift each other up and right. learn from each other and there's a lot of advantages whether it's four years old or 16 years old or 40 years old to helping people sort of catch up to you instead of just continuing to go on yourself and that's a little bit at the crux of a lot of this discussion here sure. because while lots of research and and people can can advocate for a system that allows for that and that you know the the benefits of diversity are are you know sort of a little bit uh, more qualitative in some of those ways there are people saying okay but our youngsters who can really excel and push ahead in math reading whatever it might be we got to just let them go in in part their neighborhood schools are terrible and we need to give them a gifted and talented program to get into and get out well certainly like i mean i, I would say that not just in new york city but i think nationally that has been the mindset is really this kind of scarcity model of, of education and really treating public education, which is a public good, as a public commodity. And so, you know, I think if, you know, we're really only investing in kind of creaming students and kind of getting them this kind of escapist mentality to say, well, your neighborhood's falling apart, so you need to leave it. And or we just need to give you a little space that's separate from somewhere else. I, I, I don't think that that is the education policy for a truly uh, inclusive and democratic city. We have a couple calls lined up, so let's bring them on. Uh, first caller, hi, welcome to Max and Murphy. What's your question? Hi, um, Thomasina from Bergen County. Um, I've kind of experienced this in all different ways. I skipped seventh grade, I'm sorry, I skipped eighth grade in junior high school in Queens, uh, Story of Queens, um, in a gifted and talented program. Um, I mean, that worked out fantastic for me. Um, but the idea was then we had like 36 kids in a classroom. Mm. So, um, you know, nobody was really getting any specialty. N the lower kids weren't getting specialty. The advanced kids weren't getting specialty. But now as a teacher, I am totally against all gifted and talented programs because it's just a form of isolation. It's a form of hierarchy. I mean, and there is a cultural problem on the other end. I believe there are books being written right now by Asian authors saying they're being discriminated against at Harvard and Princeton and all the, the um, very, you know, hard-to-get-in colleges that they're not getting in because they're being told that they're not well-rounded, that they have the grades, but they can't get in. And it's hard for them to accept that, and they're pushing back against that. 
So Great. the question is, really, what does it mean to be educated? Does it mean to just be academically excelling? Or does it mean that you can take your knowledge and apply it in a really positive way in your community? And the other thing I wanted to say is there is no point in redoing the gifted and talented program if you're not just going to redo the entire institutionalization of public schools because we don't have small class sizes. If we had small class sizes, we wouldn't need gifted and talented. We could do differentiation. Hmm. All the private schools do not allow more than 12 children in a classroom. And there's a reason for that because they know that they can't really get to more than 12 kids. A 12 to 1 ratio is all you're going to pay for in those private schools. So I think these these are some really interesting points. Thank you so much for the call and the very interesting perspective as a student and a teacher. Um, so we've got five or so more minutes here. We want to make sure we hit on a, on a few other things. Um, but I, I guess... To, to pick up on on that, um, I don't know that I don't know that at this point we can go down the class size uh, discussion. <laughs> but on the sort of larger issue of tracking, let's start with you, Council Member. Are you ready to buy into a vision here of doing away with screens and doing away with different admissions to different schools and doing away with the GNT programs? for sort of tailorized, you know, individual enrichment programs, but really, really changing all these structural aspects of the way that students are are tracked and admitted to schools? So I mentioned before about my experience uh, at, at Murrow High School, and I really, um, this is not like a, this is not just politics for me. I actually learned in, in, a, in an effective manner and I felt a part of something. Um, I was a, a stronger student in the humanities than I was in math and science, and I needed more support. So I had the option. I had the option. No one told me. I had the option, uh, working with my guidance counselor and my teachers to, to select advanced courses in history and, and, liter- and, and uh, English, but I needed more help and support in math and science. And so I think that many students find themselves in a situation where they might be great in a certain subject area or two or more, but they need more help in a different area. And that's okay. That's but, okay. So are advanced I, I, classes me, part of this vision, Matt? I mean, is it, is it, you know, the school, the high school I taught at, which was the in Mass- the, uh, the, the high school I taught at in Massachusetts, there were AP classes, honors classes, and college prep. There were three, three levels. Um, is that still part of the vision? If you are able to create much more diverse, schools by redrawing the district lines and changing the admissions right. policies? Do you still have that? Well, so what we don't want to create is um, within, you know, segregation within schools and, you know, because you can you can have a diverse population and if you're just tracking everyone into separate classes, you're really replicating uh, the larger system systemic problems. I think what, what we are prioritizing and trying to elevate is that there are models of detracking of open honors that schools in New York City, Harvest Collegiate is a really, actually a really diverse high school. Um, it does not have any screens. It's a very high performing high school if you, you know, using the test score metrics um, and they have open honors. And so I think uh, as the council member was saying, really making sure that students have the agency and the, the, the autonomy to make those choices about what they want to learn. Um, I think that's the, the, the vision that we want to go to. I, I don't want to over prescribe what 
you know, X school should be doing in terms of how they distribute those those opportunities. But every single school in this city must offer opportunities for enrichment for every single kid. Um, I don't think that we should dole those opportunities out, you know, again, using that scarcity mindset. There's ways to do that that ensure all students have their needs met. Um, but but we're doing it through a, through a lens uh, around equity. We have one more call. We have a very th- short time left. Uh, caller, welcome to Max and Murphy. What's your quick question? I think we may have lost the caller. They were very patient, but <laughs> in the end, we weren't there for them. Sorry about that. Thank you for calling. Try next time. Um, a question I have is about the politics of this. Obviously, there's the politics of elected officials like the council member, his colleagues, the mayor, what their reaction is going to be. But the report makes reference to the kind of internal politics of the system, which is, can you get, uh, I think the report is pretty honest about this, that you want to ensure New York City public schools continue to attract students from across the socioeconomic totally. spectrum, because that's obviously key to diversity. If, if they all leave of a particular type, it makes it harder to have that mix. So how do you do that while also proposing things like, and the report says, getting rid of screens, including grades, test scores, auditions, performance interviews, behavior, lateness, and attendance. Uh, uh, many middle-class parents, I think, of, of many racial and economic, uh, or many racial and um, ethnic backgrounds may look at that and say, well, wait a minute, if, if there's no standards that kids are going to be held to, um, wh- why, why, should, why should my kid try to show up on time and behave in class and not be late? I mean, it does suggest to someone who wants to have a negative reaction to this that this is about throwing out standards altogether. Well, yeah, I mean, I would, I would offer the alternative. I think what we're proposing is actually believing that all students can achieve and, and should be held to high standards. I think the model we have now is that, well, only a handful of folks can meet these standards, and we should create mechanisms around admission that ensure only a few of them have access. When we're talking about lateness, we're talking about attendance, especially when we're talking about that for you know middle school students, that is more of a function of a, of a parent's and a family's socioeconomic economic status rather than the student's motivation or desire to be to school on time. We're talking about behavior marks. You know, I think there's enough literature around, you know, the majority of our teachers in the city are white and middle class. And there is a tremendous amount of bias that, that manifests through that. And so I think the, the metrics that you just listed out are the ones we called as um, being, you know, you know, resulting and having impacts around bias. And again, are, are being more functions and proxies for class uh, class issues. And so I don't think that I was a, a low income student. Um, I had uh, probably less, uh, you know, less, I was probably tardy, you know, purposely a, a lot um, and um, certainly missed school here and there. But ultimately, the the ability of me to sit in a classroom and learn next to someone had very little to do with whether or not I was able to get to school on time. I lived I lived an hour and a half away from school and was bused to that school. And so I think when we think about some of these measures that we're using, and if, you know, and again, if parents say, like, I want a school where all my kids um, show up at, you know, 7.55 on the dot, um, that, that cer- certainly there is a, an investment there and that's their right to choose. Um, we don't think that a public school system should use those measures to exclude particular students. Um, because again, we, I don't think that determines their their academic you know abilities councilmember Traeger I would add yeah go ahead sure I, I would add that in our school system right now over 100,000 students uh, are in temporary housing 30,000 of which are living in shelters um, a significant number of them are chronically absent right. uh, at 
due to no fault of their own. But that should not be the deciding. Right now, the current system says because of this dynamic, you're shut out of so many opportunities. When many of these children, I assure you, are gifted in many different ways. Quick, quick, quick final, quick final question for you, yes. Councilmember. Um, and then, unfortunately, we're going to have to say yes. goodbye. But um, do, are you yes. going to hold a yes. hearing on the these recommendations? Do you plan? You know, what's the council going to going to do on this? Do you think? Right. So, so we just recently we held a hearing on segregation. We uh, that was at the time of the uh, release of the first report. Uh, what I plan to do is that I actually want to inform uh, my colleagues what is actually in the report. So I, I, I have been speaking to, to members of the city council and to lawmakers. I, I'd love, I'd love for, for the SDAG uh, to meet with folks, to actually inform them of what's actually in the report to kind of educate people what's in it and don't believe the noise and the hype. We're looking to expand opportunities. So I think right now the immediate reaction is just to educate people about what is actually in the report. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope we did some of that here today. Yeah, so yes. Thank you to our guests, Councilman yes. Traeger and yes. Matt Gonzalez, for helping us to educate certainly this host and hopefully many of our listeners as well as to what's in the report and some of the interesting issues they have laid on the table for us to, to think about in coming months. And, and we, f- sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Ben. No, I was going to say, and, and even you might you know, listening to this might also, your head might be spinning a little bit because it's so much and getting into all the specifics of what's in the two reports and all the recommendations, you know, is impossible to do even in 35 minutes of conversation like this. There is a website um, where folks can find the two reports. There's even executive summaries of the two reports. You don't have to read every word of every page, but, um, you know, people should find more more resources here if they're if they're interested. And people should tune in to Max and Murphy every Wednesday at 5 p.m. right here on WBAI 99.5 FM. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, have a great week in the greatest city in the world.